You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. Well, this is the final sermon in our series in Psalm 23. Psalm 23 is a very personal psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. It was written by David. And David here was at a point in his life where he, he really needed the shepherd and needed to know the benefits of having the shepherd. And so today we're going to see how David celebrates, listen to this, the overwhelming superiority of a life that's lived in God. Now I want you to think about that for just a minute because I really put myself out there just now. I really did. Because there's a lot of things that people think would be awesome if they had, in comparison maybe even to a life that's lived for God. Because sometimes, for whatever reason, we kind of diss the Christian life as some sort of feel sorry for me type of a deal. And I reject that completely and totally with everything that is in me. You see, whatever you're trying to compare living the Christian life to, it doesn't measure up. When you understand the benefits of the shepherd, when you understand how far superior living for him is than anything else you could live for, you will understand just how incredible this psalm is. You will begin to understand just how personal it is. In the closing verses of Psalm 23, David gives us what I believe to be four final benefits to a life that is lived for God. Or maybe I should say it like this. Four benefits... To having the Lord as your shepherd. Wow. Now these benefits of course are just, you know, ones that I could see and ones that I could, could, could pull out. But I, I believe there's many more. We've already discussed in verses 1, 2, 3, and 4 some of those abundant blessings found in a life that's lived for God. They're abundant. They're not just, they're not small things. These are abundant blessings. And so let me read the text for you before we jump in. You prepare a table. It's in your your worship, God, you prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. It's benefit number one. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Number two, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Number three, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's great stuff, church. That, my friends, is great stuff. This is like an infomercial for the benefits of having the Lord as your shepherd. So let's jump in. Because this first one is really, uh, I I think, probably the one that we may even need the most. In in fact, I I do believe that God's word is is always given in, in order. There's a lot of order to the word of God. And so for whatever reason, as he closes out this psalm, he begins with this thought about enemies. And he says here that you prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Number one, I want you to write this down. He's speaking about the first abundant blessing as being absolute vindication by the Lord. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You prepare a table before me, some translations say, in the presence of those who have persecuted me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies or in the presence of those who distress me or in the presence of those who have afflicted me. Enemies. People who actually oppose us. People who seek our defeat. Maybe who seek our downfall. Now, it's always good to, to, to determine what an enemy is not. And sometimes I think we need to do that because we may be giving credit to someone as being our enemy, and they're really not. For instance, an enemy is not someone who who you have done something against. It's not an enemy. We all make mistakes. We all need forgiveness. I've actually I've actually done something against my wife. I've offended her before, but that doesn't mean I'm her enemy. I mean you to say I'm sorry. I mean you to seek forgiveness. By the way, an enemy is not someone who has necessarily done something wrong to you. I think we jump to quick conclusions and we're quick to kind of cut people off just because they make a mistake and it was against us. That's not an enemy. 
Not someone who we sinned against or someone who has sinned against us. But primarily, enemies in Scripture are people who resist and oppose us because we have done what was right. We've not compromised the Scriptures. We've done what was right. Maybe we've stood for the Lord. And therefore, someone became our enemy as a result of you and I doing the right thing, following Jesus Christ. Now, someone may say here this morning, well, preacher, I, hmm, I don't have any enemies. How sad. Wow. My heart goes out to you. Because it's impossible to live the Christian life in this world. It's impossible to stand for what is right and to wholeheartedly live for God without compromise and not have some enemies in this world. In fact, Scripture even teaches us that the Lord Jesus says to beware of all men when they speak well about you. If all you have is people in your life that just speak well of you, probably something's wrong It being that you're not really standing for God. You're a people pleaser. You don't want anybody to be upset with you, even if it means you have to compromise what you know is right. See, Jesus had enemies. And of course, we're supposed to follow Jesus. If you follow Jesus, you, like him, will have enemies. In fact, Scripture says that Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 11, the same chapter where it says that blessed are the peacemakers, says blessed are you when others revile you. Blessed are you when others persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. You see, there comes a time when your stand for truth is going to generate some opposition in your life. For instance, let's go right to the person who wrote this song, David. David had enemies. In fact, most notably, Saul. Saul was someone who we can all kind of identify with in Scripture because there's so much written about David and Saul. It's a saga that lasts for about 11 chapters, and it begins with, really, a great friendship, a great relationship. As as Saul saw the benefit in in David's skill and his ability to play music, and and yet there came a day when when David uh, stood up and did what was right in 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 the sight of all of Israel, and what did he do? He killed Goliath. An incredible moment. Everybody was singing his praises, including King Saul, who quickly elevated him to a position of leadership. But there was a parade in town, and during that parade, a song began to be heard throughout the land. Saul has killed his thousands, but David his ten thousands. Saul got jealous. Saul got bitter. Saul went from being a a friend of David's to an enemy of David's and actually sought to kill him. David had an enemy in his own family. His son Absalom was an enemy of of his dad, David. David had enemies that consisted of entire armies that wanted to destroy him and kill him. So we can understand that this statement that David is making has some significance and is very personal because David was Realizing the benefit of having a shepherd because this shepherd is preparing a table before David in the presence of his enemies. So would you walk with me into a room? And let's, or let, maybe we don't walk in, maybe we just view what's happening inside the room. How's that? You've been in this room before. You've been at this table before, hopefully. Here's David sitting at this table. And who is he sitting at this table with? Well, Scripture tells us it's his enemies. David is sitting there at this table, and it's pretty intimidating. I mean, if you've ever been around people who hate you and want to destroy you and criticize you and gossip against you and write all manner of evil against you, for his name's sake, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, this is a dreadful place to be. You, you can look across the table. Sometimes, sadly, and I hate to say this, oh, God, may it never be said of our church. Sometimes you can look across the aisle at church. You can feel the hatred. God forbid. But you can feel it. I mean, you know when somebody's talking about you, somebody's critical against you, somebody's uh, posting something on Facebook against you, and all of this that goes on in our country today, even amongst Christians who hurt and devour one another. 
And here we see David at this table and all of his enemies sitting around it. And they're railing against him and they just want to see harm to him. And all of a sudden the door opens to that room. And in walks Jesus. Jesus walks into this room and I'm sure all the enemies were somewhat excited to see Jesus because, man, they're ready for him to to take out his sword and whack David against the head and just, I mean, really just give it to him. You know, kind of like people that, that, that when, when the preacher preaches, you know, they love to see people just get hurt and they love to see the preacher. I have people that, I I hope I've changed quite a bit, but I used to walk into church and have people say to me years ago when I was younger, hey, preacher, you're going to rip our heads off. Hey, preacher, you're going to, Man, I want to see that vein pop out of your neck. I mean, I want that spit to come out of your mouth. I mean, I want you to get angry. You ever heard a guy like that? I, I think we have potentially confused what, what compassionate hellfire brimstone preaching is to what hateful demonic hellfire brimstone preaching is. Just for those of you old timers that like good heart preaching, I like it too. But if, if it's without love, it's garbage. And so here comes Jesus. He walks into the room and, and, and the enemies are shocked because Jesus walks not to their seat, but to David's. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou preparest. Jesus doesn't sit at the table and eat with David. No, he begins to serve David like a waiter. He begins to meet David's needs. He begins to, he begins to show his love to David. In the presence of his enemies, he begins to vindicate David and love on David and serve David and let his enemies know what he thinks about David, which is a far cry from what they've been saying. This is what I call vindication. The confirmation of Almighty God in David's life. Not because David was perfect, but because David was a man after God's own heart. I really believe this is a statement of identity. We sang a moment ago about how God feels about us. Abundant vindication from the Lord. Therefore, I am who you say I am. I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. Many enemies will say something different about us. We sometimes hear a negative messages, wrong messages about who we are. I've been there and you've been there. I've sat at that table. I've received that letter. I remember, and this has been so helpful to me personally, because I, I remember getting a seven-page letter from a gentleman, and it was seven pages of vehement hatred. Someone who at one time had been my friend, but now because of a few things that our ministry was doing to follow Christ, though he would not have said that about these things, he would have said it was following Satan. And so he was upset and he let me have it. I never answered. I never have, by the way. I've never answered. Never responded to a post. I don't get it, Christians. Why, why, do, we, why do we fight back on Facebook? What's that about? Somebody help me there. What is it about that, that, that we have to say our peace and... Make sure that we stand. Somebody might think it's true and I've got to stand because they'll believe it. And so I've got to slam them. So I never have done that. I, I, I don't think it's scriptural. And to be honest with you, I'd rather have his vindication than my attempt at it. And so I never said anything last year on vacation. About 10 years later, this gentleman texted me and found out we were in the area. Our family was. And he said, hey, would you like to meet at Starbucks and talk? And so I met there. And I really thought it was going to be game over. And, hey, man, I'm sorry. And you know what? I hope you don't have that letter anymore. If you do, tear it up. It's all good, man. We're different. But, hey, we're God's children. And it's all good. And conversation went like this. I mean, couldn't you say maybe, you know, you've just backslidden and, you just kind of got, you know, kind of like, you know, you slip back into your, into your, into, into sin. But now you're coming out and I'll support you if you do that. If you'll just say that, I'll get behind you. Wow. I was shocked. But I just looked at him and said, hey, it's okay, man. I love you. and It's all good. Because there is power in knowing what God thinks about you. It doesn't matter what man says. It's what does God say? You see, God puts his stamp of approval on your life. And that may be why the most popular, the the song that is being heard by the world today more than any other song. In the first three or four days it came out, it got 50 million hits on YouTube. It's written by Lauren Daigle. It's called You Say. 
We're actually going to finish the song, a little, the sermon a little different this morning with an invitation that will cause us to meditate on these words. I keep fighting voices in my mind that say, I'm not enough. Every single lie that tells me I will never measure up. Am I more than just the sum of, of every high and of every low? Remind me once again, just who I am, because I need to know. The only thing that matters now is everything you think of me. In you, I find my worth. In you, I find my identity. We're going to sing that song at the very end, but I'd like for Lauren Daigle to just tell us the story behind the song. Dub Awards, and um, I remember being completely overwhelmed. I walked into the studio, and Paul and Jason, my producers, were in there, and they're like, all right, what's going on in your world? How's it been? It was the first time we'd written since How Can It Be. I just remember feeling like so much had happened the night before. How do I come back down to normal? How do I come back down to reality? And started realizing these patterns of like really high highs and then okay now there's a low really high high now there's a low and involving expectation in that space can just um leave you kind of questioning your identity where do i fit in where where is my security where's my footing So when writing, you say, um, I just remember feeling for the first time pretty conflicted. It was definitely the first moment in just being an artist that I was like, okay, where, where is all of this going exactly? And I know that we've all faced moments in life where we can feel a crossroads happen, where we can see the past and also see the future and realize how we are supposed to exist in the present. And it was one of those moments where I could see where things were going and I knew exactly where I came from and I needed those worlds to still be married. And thus brought up the issue of just identity and trying to figure out how to exist when I feel like so many things are pulling me in so many different directions. With that, I think a lot of times we build these complexes about, you know, based on insecurity, based on fear, based on rejection, and just lies that we have to constantly overcome. And so this song for me was just a reminder of identity. It was a reminder that, you know, when I'm weak, he's strong. So how do I change that and bring that into my everyday life? When I feel inadequate, how is it that um, there's always these moments where I feel like God just steps in and supersedes my inadequacies. This entire song was so that every single night I would get up on stage and remind myself, no, this, this is the truth, this is the truth, this is the truth. Don't get buried in confusion, don't get buried in um, like waywardness. Just remember to steady the course, steady the course. So that's the story behind you say. You say I'm strong.
You know, so many of us, I feel as if we are in that place of anxiety, fear. And so many times in the Christian's life, I sense that even in the church, that there is this fear that, that, that we, we've lost our purpose or that because of what somebody has said or because somebody could do this better than us or because somebody is more successful in this area or because of some rumor we've heard or some truth we've heard even that we get to the place where we begin to hear the lies of Satan in our ears and all of a sudden we lose our footing. And this morning I'm here to bring you the message of Jesus Christ that that he loves you and he's going to vindicate you and you don't have to seek vengeance yourself. He'll do it for you. Maybe you're here this morning and you're in need of some vindication. You're in need of God to step in and speak into your situation. Well, let me give you three things about vindication. Number one, it's not wrong to look for and to long for vindication. Are you feeling better? (laughs) I'm like, when when I really realized that, I was like, okay, okay, I like this. Because sometimes, I don't know about you, but I'm like, God, hey, it'd be really nice right now. That lightning, get, come up right now. Boom. Booyah. Nailed them. Thank you. You know? It's not wrong to look for. Look, look, look at this. Here's a verse. Since indeed God considers it just. Some translations say righteous. God considers it righteous or just to repay with affliction. Those who afflict you. But here's the deal, number two. Only God can bring vindication. So you're out. So stay seated, amen? If you're caring, don't take it out, all right? I mean, hey, hey what I'm saying is this, is that it is, not, it is not you or I, even though there's nothing wrong with longing for it and looking for it, there's, we do not have in Scripture a reason to seek it ourselves. Only God can bring vindication. Pay attention in Romans chapter 12. Beloved, never. All right, I'm looking for someone who has a lot of Bible knowledge. This is going to be a deep one. What is the definition of never? Never. Exactly, never. I don't know how you can improve on that. Never means never. So never. Never. No more Facebook posts, church. None. Zero. You do, you violated Romans 12. Well, yeah, but I just gave him what for. You ever see these threads that just go? We had one where Scott Mercer posted like a video of our worship team singing. And it went like a thousand threads of just. I was just like, I was like, whoa, there's a lot of people out there that just hate. They're enemies. I'll tell you what I think about you. And it was just back and forth. No more of that, church. It's not how Christians act. We don't get in those bullying fights. We don't have to say what we think and post this and say this and do that and return this email. Never avenge yourself. Leave it to the wrath of God. For it's written. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, I'll tell you what you can do, though. If you, if you really want, you can, your enemy's hungry, you can feed him. Have him over the house. Feed him a steak. If he's thirsty, buy him a Starbucks. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil. Rather, Overcome evil with good. With good. This is God's plan. And then thirdly, we have to be willing to wait for it. Wait for it. Just wait for it. That's a hard part, isn't it? Man, waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and wondering what people think. And, well, should I say something? It's been a month. It's been a year. It's been five years. And, man, they're still talking about me. They're still criticizing me. I'm, I, I'm doing the right thing. But, 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 man, maybe I should fight back. Wait! Because David waited. And I'm going to tell you, it paid off for David. Because it doesn't get any more abundant than when God does it. In the presence of your enemies. Hallelujah. 
Man, listen, sometimes things happen around here, you know, like we went through that really hard time and then God starts blessing. I'm like, I hope people are seeing this <laughs> and said it would never happen. <laughs> uh, yesterday I was sitting at Henderson State University watching the champion Tiger baseball team beat Henderson. Yeah, I watched it. I saw it. We lost the first game 6-4, won the second game 7-5. I'm sitting there thinking, this is crazy. I mean, five years ago, people were saying, I'll, I'll tell you what, I'd run from that place as far as I can. That, they ain't going to make it. That place is going to close down. I mean, you, you, my, my enemies, not you, I'm sure. Everybody here loves me. But, but my enemies, you know. And I'm sitting there thinking, God, you, you sure do a good job of this thing. I tell you what, it was worth waiting to see you vindicate and bless again. Every preacher knows what I'm talking about. Every preacher's been in that valley of the shadow of death. And then you want to just jump on it. You want to defend yourself. You want to fight back. But what you need to do is wait. Because God does a better job. David became the greatest king in all of Israel. The greatest king in all of Israel. God vindicated his son, Jesus. Think about it. Jesus was hated, spit upon. It doesn't get any worse than that. I mean, is anybody here ever just a big hawker in your face? Jesus had it like happen multiple times. I mean, Jesus was carrying that cross. They put a thorn of, crown, uh, uh, thorn of crowns on his head. And they, they pierced him. They spit him. They kicked him. They... Does anybody think he couldn't have turned into the Incredible Hulk and just like took over? I mean, it would have... Just... Do you like that? I, I won't take my shirt off. Don't worry. I mean, some of you ladies would never be happy again. But no, I'm just kidding. Totally joking. Just got to have some light moments when you're preaching. I mean, he could have he called 10,000 angels. Whistle. I can't whistle. But boom, 10,000 angels show up. Pow, 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 pow. I mean, just, it would have been incredible. Instead, he went to the cross. It was God's plan. He died on the cross. He said things like this, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, which blows you and I away. Because we're like, Father, kill them and let me see it before I die. You know. So we're, you know, we're just amazed at Jesus. But God had a plan. Look at this. And being found in human form, he humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Vindication, here it is. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue shall confess. Can I hear it, church, that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every enemy of Jesus will bow. Saddam Hussein will bow. Adolf Hitler will bow. Everyone who has ever cursed God will bow. Every God denier will bow. Every God hater will bow one day and say, Jesus, you are Lord. Who did that? God did. God did. God vindicated his own son. And so I know who I am. I am who God says I am. Number two. Not only abundant vindication by the Lord, but abundant provision from the Lord. Abundant provision. Provision meaning this. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Well, what is that all about? What is this anointing my head with oil? This was a ceremony. It really was. You know, there's things that happened back in Bible times that they still happen today. They just look different. Like back then, what would have happened is you would have been on a journey. You would have been maybe coming through town and you would have been uh, tired and worn out, right? And so there was an aromatic oil, a perfume, an oil that they would put over your body or over your head. And it would just be like, ah, oh, this is so good. Like when we go to Hawaii, Zoe loves this stuff called, what is it called, honey? Noni lotion or something. And you rub it on your back or where you're sore. I don't think Zoe's ever sore. I just think he likes mom to rub his back. That's what I think. 
but, but he, she, she rubs it, and he's like, oh, oh, yeah, right there. Yeah, ooh, yeah, good, you know. And it just kind of soothes that, the ache and the pain of that recent practice or whatever you've gone through. I want to liken it today to maybe like a modern equivalent would be Carol Ann and I are flying to Hawaii, right? We're on the way. It's 4 o'clock in the morning. We're trying to get to our flight. Ding! Delta. Oh, man. Hopefully it's not delayed. You have been upgraded to first class. Honey, you must be really spiritual because I've had a horrible week. It ain't me. (laughs) And we're like, she said, is it me too? And I'm like, yeah, it's both of us. We're going to first class. Dude, these seats, like you press a button, you lay down. They're coming at you with steaks and and, and, and peanuts and, and, and they even act like you're special. They're like, hello, sir. They talk different. Like when you're in the main cabins, what do you want? I'll take some water. Ice or not? Like, uh, whatever you want. <laughs> in first class, it's like, you know, hello, sir. What can we get you? We hope you have a one. Thank you so much for coming. You're like, <laughs> So before they give you anything, they come by with this, with this little tray, and it's got these little stacks of white towels. You're like, what is this? And she takes a little, you know, like a tongue, and she... Gets the white towel, and she, here, sir. I mean, literally, you feel like you live in, like, Eastgate. If you do, I'm sorry, but, I mean, I think that's a rich area. But anyway, uh, whatever, sorry, the village, okay, Hollywood, okay. And, uh, sorry, and, and you get this, and you're like, you, you take the towel, and you open it up, and you're like, and it smells like, it smells like vapor. It's like, so, and then you put it on your face, and you're like, you don't even know what you're doing. I don't know if they're supposed to do that. I really don't. And I'm like wiping it up. And I'm feeling like this is incredible. That's what I would liken it to today. A trip on, fr- or maybe this. Because maybe, you know, it does say this, that, that you anoint my head with oil. But it also says your cup overflows. So there's something else about this. I would liken that to free refills. See anybody? Hey, who hates it when you ask for a Coke and they say a buck seventy nine, no free refills, and they give you an ice full of cup and that much coke. It's the biggest rip off ever. But when they say it's free refills, or when they've got like the machine in the open area where you can just go anytime. Anybody ever been to Chick fil A where the ladies actually walk around and get your cup? Please keep your lid, sir. And you keep your lid, and then she comes back, and it's just delicious. And you're like, this is incredible, free refills. Or what about the waitress who you take a sip, you set it down, and she's like, where'd you come from? You good. We're going 20% tonight, I guarantee you. It's unbelievable. That's what it's talking about. This is a benefit of, of the provision, the abundant provision of God in your life. The problem is this. Too many of us are... Semi-discouraged because we're measuring our capacity even as I speak and you're wondering, ah, Eric, you don't get it, man. I got, I got too much. Too much on my plate, too much in my life. I've got this going on. I've got that going on. I've got, my list just goes on and on. And I, I don't know how I'm going to get it all done. For instance, for me personally, sometimes that happens. I, I look at a, a list for the next day and I say, oh, my soul, whoa. I need to talk to Carrie Cuneo. No, I'm just kidding. And uh, it's my secretary. But it's just, I, I look and I think, man, that's so much. And I've got so much in high. Because I do it to myself. She doesn't do it at all. Trust me. She's laughing right now. I can't believe you even said that, preacher. You're the one that does it. And you're right, I do. But sometimes I look, I, I'll get so many things. Like, for instance, this weekend, you know, we had a lot. This week we had a lot going on. And then uh, about four days ago, I had a phone call that someone committed suicide. And they asked me to do the funeral. So here in about two hours in this auditorium, I'll be doing the funeral for someone who uh, shot themselves and killed themselves. And when that's laid on you in the midst of a busy week, you're like, now a suicide funeral. So now you're like, okay, I've got this last sermon in Psalms. I w- really want this to be right. It's pretty intense. It's got to be good. It's our only sermon of the week. Our people need to be fed. Now I've got to meet two hours later the needs of people who are mourning the death of someone who took his life. Then then you've got, you know, all the, the marriage retreat and you're trying to get ready for the marriage retreat and make sure that all goes well. And all these couples are blessed and they were and I was. It was amazing. And then you've got you're trying to meet the needs of those who are hurting you. And sometimes... You're like, God, wait a minute. I don't have enough in my cup. And God says, I don't want you serving me out of your capacity. I want you ministering out of the overflow.
What are you doing with the capacity stuff? This is free refill, sir. You know who I am? I would never put too much on you. I got you. I'm going to give you the strength. I'm going to give you the time. And so, yeah, it was a couple more hours of preparation. Yeah, I might have been up here last night till later, 8.30, but it was all good, man. My wife was happy. Glorianne was excellent last night until I got home, and then I had to calm her down, but it all worked out. And then, you know, we had, God just laid it out. I got to go to that baseball game and watch us win at Henderson. I got, I mean, it was like a weekend of absolute amazing blessing. And I'm looking back at it right now, a couple hours away from that funeral, I'm thinking, God... Because I feel good about it. I'm ready. I've got my message. I'm prepared. Uh, I, I think I've got the help that I need without asking too many people. Some of you may be wondering, we didn't even know. Preacher, we would have helped. It's okay. I know families have, you've got meals and you've got families and people have things to do. And so I'm, I'm not, I mean, I'm thinking I could ask a lot of people, but you know what? It's Sunday. It's the Lord's Day. It's a day of rest. Here's my point. My point is, it's all good. That's my point. My point is, it's all good. And you're looking at somebody not operating out of capacity. That ran out a long time ago. I'm operating on the overflow because the Lord Jesus keeps coming up and filling. I'm like, God, okay, keep, keep filling up. I'm like, okay, it's good. Okay, I got this. We, we got a funeral this week. Okay, we'll fill that up a little bit more. You're good. But, but what about the marriage retreat? Oh, we got that too. But what about the message? We got that too. But what about the visit in the hospital? We got, we're just going to operate out of the overflow. And what's amazing is my family and my kids have been amazing. And I just can't get over how my cup is overflowing. You might say today, well, that's not me, preacher. Sorry. Good for you. That's great. But that's just not me. Well, I want to speak into that. When you sense diminished capacity and overload, I'm going to suggest you do two things. I don't want you to blame it on anything but this. Number one, confess the sin that hinders the Spirit's overflow. I think many of us are falling underneath the weight of life because we're not willing to address the sin that's hindering us from being filled with the Holy Spirit. We like to blame everybody else, don't we? We like to blame this person and that person. And well, if they would treat me better, well, if this was better, well, if that was better, well, I had more money, if I had a better job. And we blame all these things. But the truth of the matter is, usually it's, it's just something in our lives that needs to be confessed. And it's in the way. And it's hindering us from being filled with the Spirit. Now, once you've done that, I want you to then increase your fellowship with God that helps the overflow. So, so you see, first of all, get rid of this sin and then... Turn up the knob on prayer and Bible study. Make sure you're at small group this week. Don't miss church this week. Listen to our worship music. Memorize a verse or two. I can assure you, when you are operating in the overflow, you're spending time in prayer and God's word, even if it's just five or ten minutes a day. Number three, then there's abundant opportunity from the Lord. Look at it. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. That's crazy, isn't it? Think about that statement. Surely goodness and mercy. Goodness and mercy. What is goodness and mercy? That's the word hased. New Testament Greek. Hased. It's, it's the word that the New Testament uses more. Or actually, the Old Testament. I'm sorry. Psalms. David. So this would be the Hebrew. I'm sorry. Hased. It's the word that, that David uses more than any other word in the Old Testament to describe God. Goodness, mercy, kindness, hased. Favor is another word for it. Favor, loving kindness. Here's another one. Steadfast love. That's the word that the version I use puts there. Steadfast love. Let me give you a few illustrations. Psalm 86 says, For the great is your steadfast love toward me. You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full. It's full of steadfast love of the Lord. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the clouds. And on and on and on. What is the illustration? The illustration is this, that God is relentless in his pursuit of us. He's relentless. Surely goodness and mercy shall what? Say it, church. Follow me. Follow me. God is after you. It's like you can't get away from his goodness. 
You can't, listen, on your worst day of backsliding, on the day that you curse and drink and swear, and I mean, you're so far from God, nobody in this room couldn't tell me, God's still good. He still loved me. He was still there. Isn't that what we just sang a moment ago? I mean, I I can't remember which song it was, but there was a song we sang that indicated, listen, even when I'm in my sin, you are still after me. You still love me. You can't get away from his goodness and you can't get away from his mercy. It's going to follow you 365 days a year, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It's amazing. Surely goodness and mercy all the days of my life, no matter where you go. So let's quit believing the lies that Satan uses. Here's the top four. You ready? As I see it, as I counsel, as I talk to people, I'm just going to, there's probably 50. Here's four lies of Satan. Number one, well, preacher, I, I just need you to know I've failed too many times. I've just failed too many times. I mean, I've messed up and he's done with me. Now, you understand, I can't, I can't. He's not going to give me another chance. I've, I've, I've let him down. I just feel so guilty. That's a lie. You, you can't fail too many God, times for God not to forgive you because a just man falls seven times and rises up again. Just keep getting back up. Don't believe the lie that you have failed too many times. That's a lie. That's an excuse. That's, that's, not, that's not God. That's Satan saying that. Number two. The lie that says, it's too late for me, I've just waited too long. It's too late. I, preacher, I'm, 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 I'm 60 years old, I'm 70 years old, I'm 53 years old. And man, I look at these young people and I think, man, I wish I could have my life back. I wish I could be young. I hope they get it because I've wasted my life. I've wasted my time. I, I, I've messed up so many times and I've just waited too long and it's too late for... Lie! That's a lie. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. All the day. Just put your age, put today right there. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me October 30th, 2018, when I'm 53 years old and I've been an idiot a thousand times. I look back and I'm like, there it is again. Goodness and mercy. Can't get away from it. It's right there. He loves me. He can use me. It's not too late. Still time. Number three. I'm not gifted enough. Others are better. Man, I sit and watch you preach, Eric, or watch so-and-so sing, or I see so-and-so's business and they've got more money, or I watch how they dress, or I watch what car they drive, or I, I see their talent. And we begin to compare ourselves with one another and feel as if, well, we just don't measure up. And all they really want is the gifted people. Lie, Satan, who told you that? I didn't say it. Nobody here has said it that I know of. And if they have, come and bring them to me. We'll address it. Truth of the matter is, is you're listening to lies. Those lies, those voices in your mind that say you're not enough. God has gifted you in a way that if you don't use your gift, it won't. In this body, that need will not get met. You're special. You're important. We need you. Number four, line number four. There's too many obstacles. Too many obstacles. Too many things. But surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. The obstacles, whatever that is. Whatever hurdle you have to climb, whatever difficulty you have to go through, whatever issue you have to work through, whatever addiction you have to work through, whatever time frame, whatever obstacle it is, you can get through it. Because, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you can get through it. There's no obstacle too big for God to climb with you. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down. Coming after me. When I sing that, that's how I sing it. There's no shadow you won't light up. Mountain you won't climb up. Is that how you sing it? I just can't sing the thing. There's no shadow you won't light up. Mountain you won't climb up. There's no wall you won't kick down. Lie you won't tear down. I mean, it's like, yeah! Kick it down, God! Tear it up, God! I know you're coming after me. Amen. Hallelujah. 
It's like I see, whenever we sing that song, I see somebody running down the football field and the whole team's running after them, but they still get there. Just kind of like, hey guys, and they're just running. I mean, man, they get the end zone. It's like touchdown. God's got this. It's amazing. What about Lamentations 3? And I'm almost done. The steadfast love of the Lord never, never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Number four, and I'm done, abundant future with the Lord. Four things about the abundant future of God's children. What kind of future is it? Well, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's my future. So I'm going to break that down for you in about three minutes. Ready? Number one, my eternity is secure. My eternity is secure. I might. I'm sorry. Is that what it says? If I'm a good boy, maybe. No, no. I shall. Maybe your translation is I will. This is not negotiable. Your eternity is secure. I shall, second, second point here, dwell. Dwell. What does the word dwell mean? Whenever you dwell somewhere, it means you live there. What did you have to do to live there? You had to move in. Miranda and Jesse and I went out to dinner this week. That was great, wasn't it? We had fun, didn't we? Hallelujah. God's doing great things. You feel okay today? Good. They were sharing with us just God's blessings on their lives in the midst of this incredible storm. But the blessing of a house that God provided for them. Miraculous. I mean, every time, it was so funny. You've got to take these guys out to eat. And here's what you'll hear Miranda say. You almost get to the point, well, I, you can say it for her. Here's what she says. Oh, that was another God thing. And then she talks five. Oh, that was another God thing. And then she talks, oh, 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 that was a God thing. We were there at this, we finished our pizza and spent another hour and a half. No, it's okay. It sounds like I don't, I didn't want, yeah, I don't sound that. You wasted it. No, I'm just kidding. An hour and a half. But what was it all about? God things. I'm having a good time with this. I know you can, you can handle it. All these God things. And I'm thinking, one of them was this house. And they got to move in and dwell and live in this house that God's blessed them with. God says, you're going to move in. You ready to move in? Move in. You're going to dwell in a house. What kind of house? Well, let's look at it. Number three, in the house of the Lord. You know, somebody would say, well, just save me a cabin in the corner of hell. You know, all this stuff. I've got a mansion just over the hillside, whatever. I mean, look, look, let's get real. All that stuff, that little, you know, let's get accurate here. We're moving into God's house. I want to say this, number three, I will be near the Lord. I will be near the Lord. In other words, I'm going to be close to God. I don't, all, this, all this debate about, you know, heaven and where and what and how and, well, you know, are we going to have a shack? Are we going to have a man? Look, just, just know this. You're moving into God's house. Is that good enough? Am I good with that? I mean, if I, if I can say today, look, I, I, I don't know about all the other things. I don't know how many square foot. I don't know any of that. I just know this. You live in with God. Am I good with that? Let's just be good with that. Forget about is it siding? Is it brick? Is my house? You know, some of you roof salesmen are hoping they got roofs in heaven so you can sell roofs. I mean, I'm all for it. Great. Hope it works out. But the truth of the matter is, is I just know I'm going to God's house. And I'm going to be near the Lord. Number four, I'm going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Life is short. Too short for this guy today. Sad, isn't it? For him, it was 39 years. Life is short, but eternity is forever. Hallelujah. Eternity is forever. And I want you to know today that God has a place in the house of the Lord. And as I close with a few final statements, I want to ask our worship team to prepare to come. And you're still kind of looking up here at me just for a moment. Because when we've been there 10,000 years, bright, shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's, what, praise than when we first begun. So church... It's been fun. The 23rd Psalm. Let's celebrate the 23rd Psalm.
It's a psalm of identity. It's a psalm that says, the Lord is my shepherd. It's personal. I want everybody here today to know that you are special to God. And and whatever men may say, bad, good, that's not what's most important. It's what did God already say. There's got to be a reason why God has used songs like this in recent days because social media that Mo's going to talk about Wednesday night is destroying our kids. They're getting on there and singing, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, he's better, she's better, oh, they're having more fun, oh, look, they have, and they're forming their identity based on Instagram. They're forming their identity based on Facebook. They're forming, we've got kids, the average child is spending eight hours in front of a scream of some sort. just don't measure up so this morning what does God say about you what does God say about you you have to fight your battles you know what man I'm not going to fight my battles I'm going to let God take care of that and I'm just going to enjoy what God thinks about me and if somebody has something to say about me I'm going to be kind and I'm going to reflect on myself and see what I need to change and then I'm going to listen to the voice of God and say God what do you say this morning we're going to do something a little different we're just going to have a time of reflection I just think that's really what response time is and so many times we do it the same way and I feel as if sometimes we can just sort of go through the motions of an invitation and not really experience what God has for us no no pressure you need to come you can come the altars are open or you can take your spouse's hand this morning I saw that happen a lot I saw hands being held and prayers going up in seats. We're not going to stand. You're welcome to come if you'd like. We're just going to sit and meditate and listen to this song. Father, bless this invitation. It's a response time. Lord, we're we're just going to sit and let you, God, speak into our lives and tell us what you say. Jesus' name.